0: Wrestling with my brother, we got a podcast, yeah, wrestling
1: with my brother. Hello and welcome back to the podcast that did learn how to fall off a 20-foot ladder but still badly injured itself on the way down. It's Wrestling with My Brother. I love that one, that's tying it in, bro. Whew.
0: Just when this professional production value couldn't get any higher, that was that was a nice one this week. Made a happy face. How are you? I th- the heat wave's carrying on, so can we pretend that it's going to be hot when this goes live because it's been bloody boiling.
1: Yes, it has been boiling here. It's been too hot, if anything. But apart from that, I mean, I'm yeah, I'm not I'm not very happy because uh, they have let us down again, the listeners. <sighs>
0: Well, you can't assume the same listeners have let you down on Twitter. They might be two different things. Someone might be loving the podcast, but doesn't go on Twitter, you know? Fools. <laughs>
1: They're dead to you either way, aren't they, let's be good. Well, I mean, you're only getting one half of the experience. If you're only getting the oral pleasures, you're not getting the visual stuff on Twitter, are you? <laughs> God, welcome to Oral Pleasures episodes. <laughs> Oral spelled A-U-R-A-L, as in of the ears. Okay. But, yeah, anyway, so we had no respondents to last week's Would You Rather, so we don't know whether people would rather have The Undertaker's Dead Eyes or a permanent people's eyebrow.
0: What did I say to you last week? What advice did I give you?
1: Don't get angry. Calm down a bit. The givens, but I'm glad you
0: listened. No, you need to name and shame famous wrestlers. Tag someone at The Rock. Yo, bitch. What would you rather, your own eyebrow or some dead man's eyes? Tag The Undertaker and fight off against each other.
1: The Rock has blocked you. (laughs) I've been rock blocked.
0: (laughs) You've just been tombstoned. (laughs) Well, yeah. (laughs) We need to get you off that platform, do You just, You're just very angry.
1: Well, the threats worked last time around, so maybe I should ramp it up a bit.
0: Yeah, see, what most people call, like, social media marketing, you can just call threats. That's what's concerning me. It's it's that level of hostility. Yeah, it's
1: the anti-social media, isn't it? (laughs) Yes.
0: Oh, all right, then. Come on, I got a good one this week. Let's open with our first segment called... Would you rather... Okay, this is quite a conventional one after your bird shit crazy one last week. Would you rather, Darren, dearest, share a beer or 12 with Steve Austin or the Sandman and why?
1: Hmm, that's a very good one, yes. Um, Okay, let me weigh it up. So, the Sandman... No, I'm I'm going to go Steve Austin. I will tell you why because the Sandman wastes most of his beers smashing them against his head. At least Stone Cold opens them and pours them into his mouth. You know you're more likely to get decent beer flowage from Stone Cold pouring the beers. You know and you know clashing them and the the beer goes everywhere. because uh, they could be mixed with blood and sweat and whatever once they've come off Sandman. So yeah, I'm going for Austin.
0: I love that you think in Austin's entrance he doesn't waste any beer. Like I saw him in an interview once, and he said, "God damn yeah, I still got a buzz off the goddamn beer. because he, he has like a mouthful each. But he, oh god, that's a visual. I wish you could see this. <laughs> I'm holding two invisible well, beer cans to my open mouth and my tongue out. Um, yeah, but but you know they say you must waste all that beer. He's like, "God damn no, I still got a buzz off it," because he has like twenty cans, and he, you know he downs like well yeah equivalent of like 10 cans so they both waste it you know what I'm going for it's, it's no surprise you know I'd love I'd love him to regale me with some stories of of extreme and you know I I, I drink a bloody beer I don't have problem with it
1: I think it depends on what you'd rather after that whether you would rather take a stone cold stunner or a kendo stick to the back
0: that was not the sandman's finisher tell me what his finisher was please no. Uh. <laughs> Don't want to. <laughs> I know it. Do you know it? <laughs> you tell me first and then I'll say, yeah, that's it. Let's say it at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> no, shut up. <laughs> Trying to count. No, it was. He uses the kendo stick. It's called the white Russian leg sweep. Oh. So it's, it's a Russian leg sweep, but he gets the cane there and kind of throws them back with the cane. Which wasn't the worst finisher, to be honest, considering that's the only movie he's got his arsenal. So, all right, good. Yeah, a bit of a bit of a regular one this week. I didn't I didn't know how to come back off those bloody ducks last week, but there you go. yeah. All righty then. This is a match I've been wanting to feature for a while. And this is my first clip. This is RVD versus Jeff Hardy at Invasion 2001.
1: How's he even able to stand? That's what I want to know. But look at Jeff Hardy with his WWF hardcore title on the line. This is also about pride. As Jeff Hardy, steel chair in hand. And look at that! That's the Van Daminator! And Jeff Hardy went flying off the stage! Jeff Hardy caught the Van Daminator. And then he went to the concrete right off the staging.
0: All the way down. So WWF buys WCW in March of 2001. ECW folds in April of the same year. So all of this talent was pretty much only one place to go. So Invasion took place in July. And you think like how short that, you know, time span is. And I know ECW wasn't the number three promotion, but it, you know, it had pay-per-view, coverage and and you know tv deals so for all that talent you know with only one place to go I thought was pretty crazy so yeah basically this was without the WCW main eventers and this is why a lot of people kind of shat on the pay-per-view because they were still under contract for most of them uh Sting and Goldberg and you know the the NWO so they were just at home with massive Ted Turner checks and, you know, happy days. Why, why should I come and wrestle? I want to sit here and do sweet FA. So this was a kind of dream match for me at the time. You know, I love RVD. I love the Hardy boys. I've loved what both of them have done. And I thought, oh, my God, this is actually going to happen. And, you know, I think it did live up to the hype. You couldn't have done it without a, a hardcore stipulation. In my view, it wouldn't have had the excitement. Um, just another a spot fest and it's great to see rvd get such a good reception so early on because you you know he was the main event of the last ecw pay-per-view guilty charged in 2001 so there's hardly any time for him to build up any kind of rapport with the wwe universe as they like to call it but yeah this featured the the classic quote of all time didn't it learn to fall my big oklahoma butt how would you learn to fall off a 20-foot ladder yeah which is what you were uh, what you tied into at the start so yeah the Van Dammeinator into Jeff who falls in the entranceway and don't know if he ends with uh, RVD winning the hardcore title so just perfection
1: it was this was one of my favourite matches from this time from that pay-per-view I love these two and they were at their peak here you know facing each other on the biggest stage I think Invasion was one of the biggest selling pay-per-views of all time because of that factor of these two well three companies essentially coming together mm. um Know, I think we could do a whole podcast series about how botched the invasion angle was, um, and how they could have kept it going for years and essentially wrapped it up in you know a couple of pay per views and made it you know another McMahon versus McMahon saga. And if it wasn't for the ECW wrestlers, to be honest, it, it wouldn't have been as good because the talent that they got from WCW was nowhere near the level that it needed to be, aside from one or two, like Booker T, you know, for example. If they hadn't had all that ECW talent coming over, it would have been a very weak invasion. In fact, a lot of the WWE wrestlers had to turn heel and join that faction, like Stone Cold, for it to have any impact. People were hoping to see the NWO, Hogan, Flair, all those. And while they did eventually make it, you know, it was long after this angle. But anyway, that that's not to shit on this match because it, it was superb. I love it. It was quite strange to see RVD acting like an aggressive heel at the start of the match mm-hmm. because he's usually quite laid back. Um and obviously you know his Simon ECW a bit better than than I do, but he was never really aggressive to the to the same way or playing up to being a heel the way he was in this match. And I don't think he did that much after this either. So it was quite an odd sight.
0: Yeah, no, his whole entire thing in ECW was a stoner, and everyone else was screaming and, like you said, smashing beers over each other's heads and, you know, having having barbed wire halos and all that crazy shit. He was the complete opposite. You wouldn't know that he was part of an extreme federation. He was all chilled, and, and yeah, he just had Mr. Whistle himself speaking for him for the most part. (laughs)
1: yeah it was a great match I mean the repeated counters at the beginning were really good Um, and you said it was a hardcore match but it was quite atypical for a hardcore match at the time because it didn't have any of the usual hardcore gimmicks you know they would usually and JR said on commentary you know they would usually have trash cans and stop signs and all sorts of rubbish in the ring baking trays Um, but these two didn't need all that to have a good match but Obviously, they brought the chair into play with the Van Daminator and a couple of other moves and the belt, and they really helped. But, you know, they could have got around that that stipulation. But, yeah, the Jim Ross classics as well. You missed one, actually, the one where he said about the mats outside the ring, there's no protection there. It's just for aesthetics.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I, I love how invested he gets though because he's his talent relations as well you know he's he's not just a commentator he's got a really big part or did have a big part in in the WWF and you can tell that he does care you know for, for wrestlers well-beings and how how do you learn how, how to fall I, he, he tried to position himself but oh my god I how would you have if, all right, you're sat on top of that 20 foot ladder. I'm inside the ring pushing you off. How how do you brace for that, knowing there's no tables to protect you? There's just concrete. What would you do?
1: Well, we've been through this before of me. I don't like climbing the ladder into my loft, so I'm not going to get a <laughs> 20 foot ladder with no protection. No, absolutely not. No, it's not happening. Uh, I would refuse to take part.
0: <laughs> <Christ laughs> how do you learn to fall out of your
1: loft? Yeah, but this wasn't actually their first match in WWE. Um, a few years before, well, quite some years before, they actually had a match, whether it was a dark match or not, um, when there was a, another ECW-style invasion uh, back in the mid-'90s, and Jeff Hardy was a very young talent, and so they did have a match back then, Um but, you know, it wasn't a patch on this. This was, yeah, a really good showcase of two of the future stars of the company. Um, and it, just to kind of wrap up with what you said about Jim Ross's commentary, I think that he exemplifies what a good commentator is, because he really sold everything that was going on in the match perfectly and promoted the two people involved in it you know he did say these are going to be the stars of the future he he was calling the match he was bigging up the ladder thing and i've seen a couple of compilations recently of his as well um, about how he sold triple h as a, as a heel and throughout the attitude Era, he'd be like triple h you son of a bitch and all those sorts of things. And then, obviously, we know that he was friends with Stone Cold in real life. And just his over-the-top selling, Stone Cold! Stone Cold! <laughs> but, again, that's what a good commentary team can do. And it just... I know we keep going on about the Attitude Era because it was such a good time for wrestling. Everything just seemed to come together. The talent, on air, the commentators, behind the scenes, it just all worked.
0: yeah. No, they they captured lightning in a bottle, and that was that was Vince Russo at his best because he had to answer to Vince. He he didn't just go off and and wildly create whatever he wanted. Um, and I think that got the best out of everyone. But I think you'd be quite disappointed if you watched AEW now and listened to Jim Ross and commentary because he's old as hell, and he, he he you know he still gets up there. He still gets quite excited, but he's you could tell now he's in his. <laughs> on his last legs type of thing. So it's, it's quite sad in that respect because his Bell's palsy is a lot
1: more kind of... Is it
0: Bell's palsy? Yeah, because he had a, he have a stroke or
1: was it... Yeah, he's had Bell's palsy, I think, after a stroke. But yeah. it, it, he has bouts of it, so it, it comes and goes. And sometimes it's a lot more serious. And other times you can hardly tell. But it's... yeah, has it become more pronounced in recent years?
0: Yeah, like he, he can't even open his eyes. He, he's like squinting. He, you he barely moves his mouth now it's quite sad to be honest he's he really has aged and yeah it's it's weird isn't it because these people live on he'll live on way past us and you know we as we've proved with this podcast you're on youtube you're on daily motion another video streaming sites. you're there you know you're immortal and it's sad to see clips you know of wrestlers and commentators and stuff from yonder year and look at them now and well half of them aren't even here sadly but yeah, it is sad, because you all... Do you, do you feel like that as well? Do you, like... And, like, with actors as well, do you think, like, Robert De Niro is... It's probably a bad example, but, you know, some of your favourite actors are still that age when you watch that
1: movie, or, you know, when you look at them, now, you think, oh,
0: my God, that's not them now,
1: you know? Yeah, well, it's interesting you said it about Robert De Niro, actually, because the last film that I saw him in, The Irishman, they digitally de-aged him. Hmm. Um, and they also did the same with Joe Pesci. And... Watching that film, because it was probably more pronounced with Joe Pesci, actually, because he's not been in uh, films for a while. He kind of semi-retired. So seeing how old he was in that film, like, oh, my God, he, he really has aged, hasn't he? He's not that guy from uh, Raging Bull, Goodfellas and Casino. He's, he's a good few decades on. And then actually he was digitally de-aged so you see what he looks like now in real life he's a, he's a whole 10 years older looking than he is in that film so that was a double shock but yeah I know what you mean it's like they're icons aren't they and they, they're forever stuck in that time Yeah. Um, and, and that's how you remember them and then when you, you realise how things have changed I mean I still look at the mirror and think I'm the same guy from 20 years ago but I'm clearly not.
0: You were no skateboard kid anymore you're, you're a skateboard man bro I,
1: I couldn't stand up on a skateboard. <laughs> no balance. Oh, yeah. Okay, so onto my first clip. This is Kenny Omega versus Rich Swan in a title versus title match at Impact Rebellion 2021
0: so great to be with you guys and i gotta say my goosebumps have goosebumps in anticipation of this epical encounter it's an historic summit meeting of champions the forbidden door has been
1: opened so let's get down let's get down to business now this is a genuinely historic occasion with two titles from two major independent u.s promotions on the line in one match And it's not a case where the promotion's emerging or one's been bought out by the other. There's no shenanigans where a belt has been taken into another promotion. It's a genuine title versus title match. And it's only a shame that the match couldn't have taken place in front of a larger crowd. But obviously that's the reality of, of COVID. I mean, a match like this and the occasion deserved the biggest stage with the biggest crowd. Could you imagine how good it would have been if you had two sets of opposing fans chanting for them? Mm. You know that that just would have taken this to the next level, as it was, I think it it was a good match. It probably could have been a little bit tighter it it ran on for a bit long in places, I thought, but again, I was wondering to myself if there was a crowd there, would those moments that to me seemed to drag on a bit actually have felt a lot more tense? You know, yeah. would they be playing to the crowd in those moments? And would they the crowd be a lot more invested in it? It's it's a difficult one to gauge, but you know, I guess we'll we'll never really know. Um, I like Kenny Omega's gimmick, the belt collector. And I think that when used right, belts and then their pursuit of them can really elevate a wrestler and provide some fantastic storyline potential. I hate it when a belt is treated like a trinket um or, or just something unimportant. You know, you can really get some good mileage out of a belt. And when a wrestler respects a belt and really wants it, it just elevates it and the promotion that it's part of as well. And I think this match probably did both promotions at a huge level of good. Um, There's so much that I could say about this. I've made so many notes about this match, but I just wanted to say how good a wrestler Kenny Omega is. And I've not seen as much stuff of his as I'd like but I think there's an argument to be made that he's the best wrestler in the world right now and probably has been for a few years. I mean, he's just got everything. He's cool, he's cocky. He's obviously hugely talented in the ring. Not only kind of technically good, but that whole ring psychology thing as well that all the best wrestlers have. Um, and I particularly like the way that he used the ring in ways that I'd not seen. So when they were outside, for example, and he did the back suplex onto the ring apron, and then later, the back body drop is, is something you don't see a lot of. Um, but I was also pleasantly surprised at how good Swan is. That phoenix splash that he did the outside right at the start was fantastic. And he had some really good flying, uh, high-flying spots and some really good stiff offense as well. The, there were a couple of spots where they were on the tomb buckle, first at the 20-minute mark and then the 22-minute mark, that looked like botches. But yeah. I couldn't quite work it out what had happened, whether they didn't communicate what they were doing properly or if the kind of back and forth was actually planned, but neither spot looked good anyway. I thought, you know, a good match. Like I said, it's a shame it just didn't get the stage that it deserved for what was a genuinely historic occasion.
0: Yeah, yet again, it's like we're brothers. I pretty much echoed that entirely. I'm going to make you laugh here, hopefully. (laughs) Right? is the first Rich swan match I've ever watched. But I've heard of him and I've heard a lot of buzz about him. And, you know, I I kind of stopped watching Impact shortly after the clips that we've shown, you know, when Samoa Joe kind of left and AJ Styles, that's kind of the time when I switched off. But whenever I hear about Rich Swann, all all I automatically think about is an affluent bird. <laughs> I just, it, it always tickles me, like, rich swan, it's, it's like smug panther, or <laughs> I do <don't
1: know. laughs> so I could just imagine, it. know, you've got this swan kind of walking around <laughs> with a monocle on, and oh yes, you know.
0: Yeah, the swan strat, that's called.
1: <laughs> why doesn't he have, why doesn't he use the Swan swanton bomb? There are so many moves that he could use with swan in the name. Well, I know, but that is kind of taken, isn't it, let's, let's be fair.
0: But yeah, you know, exactly the same as you. Shame this history making, you know, event and match took place during the empty arena phase of pro wrestling. Um, But I think the action did make you kind of forget about everything else. And that is the point of wrestling that, you know, that's what I love about it. And I think deep down, that's what you love about it. And that's where we share this bond from, because it doesn't matter if it's extremely violent or exhilarating or stupid or just hilarious or hot or sexy or whatever it is, you know, like the brown panties matches, you love those. Um, you you forget about everything else, and that's that's what this did for me. I don't know if it's on purpose, but did you notice the rebellion logo? It had an omega symbol underneath.
1: Yes. It? I was trying to work out what that was all the way through, and then it came to me as like, Oh, yeah, that's omega, isn't it? That's
0: yeah, so. Is that a bit of foreshadowing or, I don't know, it's too big a coincidence, obviously.
1: Did you notice at the end as well, the commentator said, Scott DeMore's face tells you everything. I'm like, no, he's the least expressive man in the world. <laughs> he's, he's had the same expression on his face throughout. It's like slight concern slash confusion.
0: <laughs> well, he was part um, of, funnily enough, uh, PT Williams' stable so that he was uh, the, the Canadian kind of group within TNA. <laughs> I just love uh, the, the saying, twisting something or other by Swan. That was uh, Matt Stryker so eloquently putting it. Was that a fuck up? Was Swan on his head on the apron? Because he really compressed his neck. Was that a cock up or? I don't know. It looked
1: the way he landed with his hands. Yeah. Like he was doing a handstand. So it looked like it was choreographed.
0: I've seen that spot a million times and they're
1: supposed to kind of like what Tajiri
0: does inside the ring, but kind of, you know, lean your your back legs against the ropes and then come down. It's dropped on his fucking head. But does Omega care? Does he fuck buckle bomb for you? (laughs) It's like, Jesus Christ. And then, yeah, that sunset flip fuck up from the top at times is quite ugly. And, you know, if that, Rich Swan head thing wasn't a fuck up, and then that was just Omega, you know, putting the boots to his head and really selling the injury to the head. Then Bravo, because you did pull the wool of my eyes, and I've been watching wrestling all my life. Um, if it was a fuck up, then Jesus Christ, go a bit, go a bit easy on him, you know. But I, again, though wrestlers know when they're injured so all right i'll give me a bit of time while you do you show boat to the crowd you get on the turnbuckle you get all the booze or whatever you can't do that to three people so maybe thought oh christ has actually injured himself i can't hide it you know we're on pay-per-view there's six people in this friggin arena what am i gonna do
1: I tell you what, I did like one thing that I thought they could have made a lot more of was when the impact ref got knocked out, and then the whole thing about the fear of the impact belt being in the hands of an AEW ref. I thought that was a really good dynamic that they could have made more of throughout the match. Yeah. Um, you know about this this AEW ref. What's she going to do? You know, will she call it down the middle? Will she steal our belt? You know that that could have been a good dynamic. Um, that they could have exploited, but they didn't. It was only that one mention of it. And as it was, she didn't, you know, she did call it down the middle. She didn't take the belt. She was fair.
0: Yeah. I mean, you've seen refs, you know, have more bumps in matches than wrestlers sometimes. But I think this was just about, like you said, promotion versus promotion. I mean, I I can't think of this happening before, and I don't think it'll happen again. I, I can't think of any time where, you know, Belt versus belt, and whoever walks away literally owns two companies' worth of gold. It's, it's kind of high impact, pun intended. You know, high risk, high reward, and history making. So all the H's for me, really.
1: Yeah, I mean, it it would be really good. I know it's never going to happen, and you talk about you know those sort of dream matches back in the day of the wrestlers from the different companies fighting together. But it would be good if they could have that, you know, get all the champions together, compete against each other. Even if it was just for one night for one massive pay-per-view a year, you know, you'd have a champion versus champion match. Even if the belts weren't on the line, you know, it would just be like for bragging rights or whatever.
0: It would be an actual brawl for all, but without all the concussions and injuries. It would be who is the biggest dog in the yard, who is the best of the best. And and yeah, do it once you. I I think that's an awesome idea, but
1: it's just I mean, I'm... Vince Vince would just have well, he wouldn't take part for a start, but if he could mm-hmm. be persuaded, he would say, No, all the all my wrestlers are going over. He yeah. doesn't call him wrestlers, does he? All my superstars are going over.
0: I know he, he, you, yeah, he, there's no way you take part, and that's why I love impact and AEW at the minute, because this synergy is is brilliant. Um yeah, yeah, really good, really good match. I'm trying to think of other Swan puns now, but I think I'm I think I'm all oh, that should have ended the pun, but it didn't. Can you think of any rich swan jokes before we go or not?
1: No, let's just swan off, shall
0: we? Oh okay, so this is a shit clip, but it's history. So I wanted to show it, you know, this is not the feel-good. Entertainment we've just shown, and that just shows our diversity on this podcast. This is Kevin Nash ending the streak at Starcade 1998.
1: Crown
0: World Heavyweight champion So, yes, Greenberg was officially undefeated in uh WCW for 173 matches. Now you could fact check me if you want. Uh, numerous sources have said that's the official uh <laughs> rating which just goes to show how much of a joke they were because some weeks he'd be 200 matches and know some weeks he'd be 150 they'd have house shows in between pay-per-views or big events that are televised where he would win and they're not documented so they couldn't keep their own scores which is why I think AEW do such a good job now of keeping a scoreboard you know they're not going to get away with the same shit that WCW did. Um, yes, yeah, 173 official wins until backstage politics basically ruins the streak. And wrestling is the only time when a streak is actually a good thing. Undertaker lost the streak to Brock Lesnar to pass the torch and to position Lesnar as the man. You know, the one of the most exciting things about WrestleMania is, oh, is the streak going to end? Oh my God, he could lose the streak. And, you know... It, It was probably seen a bit rushed in the eyes of the fans, but, you know, Lesnar was the man and it was a passing down of the torch and Heyman made a a huge deal of it. This was just Kevin Nash playing the politics game and just, yeah, laughing at the expense of the fans and the other wrestlers. It was all ego and terrible booking. So WCW in a nutshell, basically. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it would still be a good idea to end the streak at some point. I've watched interviews and they're like, no, no, we should just carry on. That's the worst thing that ever happened to wrestling. All right, but you can't be like eight hundred and oh, you know, but but something more deserving. Um, you know, and, and I've seen interviews with Nash and he still stands by his bloody decision, which adds to how shit this is, because to this day, he's like, no, it was it was the right thing to do in the right time and it was time to move on. It wasn't, you know, you said in the past about how many matches they could have had as a pay-per-view event and just have this humongous push behind it and, you know, give some threat to it. You didn't know the streak was going to end. He was just bloody tasered at the end. You know, interference again, ruining what could have been, you know, a high-profile bout. Make the most of it. All right, if it is going down this way, let's actually have some drama and some legacy behind it. No, just a bunch of run-ins. And then, uh, yeah, it led to his first loss, basically.
1: Yeah, we've talked a lot about Goldberg on this podcast before, both how he was really well-booked and then really poorly booked. But this was a mistake. You know, at this time, Nash didn't need the title. Um, The streak didn't need to end like this. Winning the belt did nothing for him. And then all the interference, like you said, just so stupid, typical WCW booking at the time, a bunch of run-ins and a a messed up ending. And then I think this on its own wouldn't necessarily have been the worst thing, but just eight days after this came the infamous finger poke of doom when Hulk poked Nash in the chest and then he lay down for Hogan to pin him and claim the title. So this becomes wrapped up in that and together, they're like the beginning of the end for WCW. Um, it's interesting, though, because I've read an interview with Goldberg where he says that the streak was losing momentum and that this was the perfect time to do it and Nash was the perfect guy to do it. I mean, maybe. I think there's something to be said for that, in a way, because the crowd was into the win. There were enough people cheering, genuinely excited for Nash to be beating Goldberg, that, you know, it, it, it did come off in some way but then we'll never really know because of the stupid booking that came after it that led to Hogan getting the belt you know if they wanted to put the belt on Hogan have a Goldberg Hogan clash otherwise they could have really played up the fact that Nash had been the one to end the streak Um, but yeah it's just stupid WCW booking cancelling out very good wcw booking i was reading about the uh the streak as well because like you said the official number is 173 but they've totted it up i think they said it's somewhere between actually like 120 and 150 genuine wins that he had so it's still quite high but then they made a, a whole bunch up as well oh, i always
0: thought the 173 was the genuine number and then it was more in the 200s for tv type of thing
1: No, that 173 is the number they settled on and the number they promoted. Right. But the real actual number of wins that he had was closer to the somewhere between 120 and 150 I think.
0: Right. It's, It's mental though, isn't it? Because I suppose at the time, you know, you haven't got as many smart marks and and this that and the other but they should have known in the future anyone could just chronicle every single match that he's had and <laughs> toss it up themselves it's like and that's the that's the problem they think we're all idiots uh oh, they, they'll buy into any old shit they'll they'll give us their hard-earned money and we can just pull them all over their eyes and happy days you know it's, but that
1: was wrestling wasn't it that was the wrestling tradition uh, back in the day so much stuff was just made up victories and defeats and you know whole title reigns and all sorts of things were just made up because there was no way of finding out because wrestling wasn't covered and documented like other sports because it was this closed club where nobody would speak out and you can't get away with that now with social media and really like you said you couldn't get away with it back then I mean there wasn't the same landscape there was back then but people did have the internet and message boards and they were beginning to get a bit more wise to what was going on but it was like the um the intercontinental title wasn't it that was supposedly created after one wrestler went to South America and merged the North American title with the South American title in a tournament well that tournament never took place that was just nonsense it was just made up but for years that was the accepted history of that belt (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah I, I see what you mean but WCW did it with an attitude that you know they were genuinely laughing and, and openly laughing you know the wrestlers were laughing at, at the audience I know they're playing heels but yeah you know it's a, it's a history making moment um so I wanted to include it because it you know you, you're never going to see that type of streak again RVD had a huge kind of run you know he he held the tv championship for over a year but this was kind of the big stage of, of streaks. And yeah, I mean, Undertaker Lesnar, that's, did, did you like Undertaker Lesnar? I know we're going off topic a bit, but did you were you happy the way he lost his streak?
1: I've had mixed thoughts about it. When I first heard that the streak had been lost, I thought, oh, why did they do that? Why didn't they keep that on until retirement? And then I thought, well, because that's what everybody would expect. Everybody was expecting the streak to last. And for it to go on until he retired and and to retire undefeated, but then Lesnar came along and ended it, and it was a genuine shock, and people were blown away by it. So there is that shock value, that shock factor to it. Um, I think from that point of view, it worked, but it it might have been nice to have that as a thing. Yeah, but then they like to they like to confound our expectations, so.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a tricky one. I think it could work either way, but yeah, it's a shame. I mean, like I said, it's weird. Like when I shared, you know, WCW clips on the pod, I'm like, fucking look at that audience. There are like thousands and thousands of rabid fans, and you just forget sometimes, isn't you <laughs> that the the life and death of WCW. Everyone now dwells on how rubbish they were towards the end and mismanaged and all the money lost, but Christ, at the time, you know, during the ratings war, the crowd was hot for them, and they couldn't really do anything wrong. And I think they just pushed it too much, and and just thought, well, we are untouchable. And then the the brakes come off, basically. But you know, it's, it's, like you said, yeah, there were there were hundreds of thousands of well, you know, thousands
1: of people still cheering for the for the wins. So yeah, I don't know. I think the problem with WCW in this era is that they had. Too much financial stability, mm. they knew that they were still going to be funded. It wasn't the same as w w f which was you know essentially a family run business you know in w c w they were part of a much larger corporation with the backing of the head of that corporation you know who liked wrestling and, and put them in this spot and they knew that if they were losing money, he would give them more money. It wasn't the same kind of jeopardy that the w w f was in at the time, so maybe they got a little bit complacent and conceited and then just took it for granted but it was massive and they were genuinely competing and beating you know the competition in WDRF for a long time 83 weeks I think
0: Bischoff is now his podcast is named after how many weeks that run was for so I thought that was quite clever but um, yeah they didn't call him ATM Eric for nothing did they let's be fair
1: oh yeah okay so on to my final clip this is Jake the Snake Robert attacking Macho Man Randy Savage with his Cobra on WWF Superstars of Wrestling in 1991 get out of there Macho oh no Jake the Snake Robert look at that, look at that. with the King Cobra Macho the creepiest looking snake I've ever seen in my life. he got it too close to it. Keep it away from it. Look, that snake is... Wait a minute, the snake is... Oh, the snake is fighting it. The snake is fighting it. it. I'm out of here. Roddy Piper on his way. To get some help, the snake is gnawing on the arm. A Brandy Savage who's helpless tied in the rope. Now, this is a very rare example of something from the 80s, 90s era at WWF that was actually extreme and genuinely quite difficult to watch. Um, And I was watching an episode of Vice's Dark Side of the Ring recently about Macho Man Randy Savage and on it, Jake talks about this segment. He said that Savage demanded proof that the Cobra had been fixed i.e. had its venom removed before he would let it bite him. So Jake had to have the cobra bite his leg in the dressing room first, while Macho Man watched on before he agreed to be bitten by it. And Jake said he got the snake all riled up first, and he said it was absolutely furious by the time he let it out of the bag. So it just attacked the first thing it saw, which happened to be Macho Man tangled up in the ropes. And it it looks at times like a special effect, but This snake was genuinely biting him and clamped on to dear life. And Jake said he got quite concerned at one point because he couldn't get it to let go. He was trying all the tricks. Um, And you can see him kind of rocking from side to side, trying to get the snake's teeth out. But it was just so furious. And Vince on commentary really sold it as well. The poison is coursing through his veins. No, no, no.
0: That's 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 modern day, Vince. You've got to do the voice I hate back in the day. The poison is coursing through his veins. Well, he done a fucking well <laughs> <laughs> through his veins. <neck. laughs> no, it's the it's drink the snake. The snake is burning him. It's munching him. Oh no! Now shut up, Vince. <laughs> <my head> in. <laughs> yeah, um,
1: and I, I read as well that although the snake was devenomised. Obviously, he's still got all sorts of bacteria and God knows what else in his mouth. So as a result, Randy actually got a a really bad infection in his arm and had to be rushed to hospital a few days later with a fever. Um, And apparently 12 days after this, the snake died. And then in in an interview sometime later, Randy said, he was too venomized but maybe I wasn't.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I don't like no snakes, oh. <laughs> yeah, you
1: got it. What
0: did you think of this? <laughs> yeah, you've got it. Thank you. Little seal of approval there. Eh? Oh, it's just horrifying. I mean, yeah, Jake's presence and aura is menacing enough without the aid of a bloody King Cobra ready to strike. I mean, he was... He, he was so different for that era. You know, you've got the the baby oil macho man and Hulk Hogan and Warrior and all of these huge kind of powerful people. Jake never had the best body. You know, he was never the best worker, but his ring psychology, he was cold,
1: you know? Well, he, he, it, it's funny you should say about that, because I got to reading a little bit about Jake the Snake. I think he's a fascinating character. Mm. And you are right about his physique. He never had that huge physique, but he had an injury at one time, and as a result, he started taking um, steroids and other things to, to numb the pain. And he said he actually bulked up, and he went to see Vince, and, and Vince tore him a new one. He basically, And I'm not going to do the voice, because we've already established <laughs> that I can't. You don't do that in my face! <laughs> Well, exactly. He said to him, if I wanted somebody who looked like that with a snake, I'd just give the snake to Hogan. He said, I don't want you to look like that. He said, Mm -hmm. I've got plenty of wrestlers who look like that. I want you to be different. I want you to be smooth. I want you to be um, seductive, you know, and and to be snake-like. He said, so, you know, go home and come back when you've lost all that bulk and mass. He said, that was great. So I went home, I sat by the pool, (laughs) and I just got drunk for the next couple of weeks.
0: Oh... Fucking dream job in her mind. And her am mental, like, now everyone's got to be on the highest level of Vince, otherwise you are bloody let go. No, 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 go home, eat food, do fuck all. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, no, I mean, I like, just just him kind of baiting him. At the start, I like the, uh, you know, do you want to borrow Piper's skirt remark? <laughs> that was great, funny. You know, and, and Jake was one of the best on the mic back in the day. He was... Kind of a predecessor to Foley in a way, you know. That stare, he doesn't blink. You're drawn in, you know. He doesn't have to shout. <laughs> you look at the Ultimate Warrior, and you're like, "Sorry, mate, I caught like two words of that promo." Um, but, but yeah, this just cool, calm, collected, completely different back then. And to be honest, now when, when have you ever seen anyone kind of close to him now in terms of performance? Because I can't, I can't kind of think of anyone.
1: No, and there was that scene right at the end as well where Jake was sat down, the turnbuckle, staring, and the cobra was up, staring as well. Yeah. And it was almost as if these two were in harmony. You know, like, like Jake was in harmony with the snake. They, they were together, channeling yeah. whatever evil or malevolence they had. It was really spooky. He was
0: uh, He's a charmer, isn't he? He's got the flute back in the locker room and... Uh... Yeah, I mean, it is is a known fact in the locker room, you know, mentioning that, that Macho absolutely fucking hates snakes. You know, it was horrifying footage. And (laughs) like you said, that snake was not letting go. It looked like meat in a bloody burger. It was just chowing down. And, you know, during the the PG kids era of wrestling with cartoonish gimmicks and over-the-top acting this was more in line with a Japanese death match. You know, I, I explained the ridiculousness of a, a live Piranha match, but you could almost see this in, in Japan.
1: Oh, this God. was totally atypical of WWF for that era. I mean, 1991, like you, you said, this is right at the height of that whole PG era, that kid friendly right. wrestling era, those colorful cartoony gimmicks. This was, you know, 10 years ahead of its time, this kind of scene. Very odd, very out of place.
0: Probably more than that. I mean, in mainstream professional wrestling, when have you seen animals interacting with matches? You know, that's not a rhetorical question. I can't... Well, I don't
1: know. Are we, are we counting the cobbledygooker? <laughs> oh, fucking sake.
0: Yeah, that giant turkey aside, when have you seen animals, you know, involved? Because it's so unpredictable that... They shouldn't be involved for that very reason. So you're saying it's ahead of its time. It's probably still ahead of its time because nothing's been done since that I can recall on any main stage with I'm literally trying to think. Did did Undertaker ride in on a goat once? I don't
1: <laughs> I don't know. Well, they you know, Bulldog came to the ring with his bulldog Matilda, yeah. but that He'd never get that to attack anyone. And I don't think, you, you know, you say it's a, still ahead of his time. It wouldn't happen anymore. You would never have animals involved in, you know, in ring action in this way because just, you know, people would be all over animal cruelty. You know, they, would, they wouldn't they would even try anything like this.
0: I suppose, like, the boogeyman with his worms, you know, that, that was part of his gimmick and part of his match. Um I know... Uh, Dustin Rhodes was Black Rain for a short time in TNA and he had a rat, which he carried to the ring in a cage. I think he might have used that. But very sporadic. You know, you you don't normally associate animals with (laughs) wrestling, do you?
1: No, certainly not in this way. Um, It's interesting, actually, because, again, like I said, I started to get into a bit of a, you know, internet rabbit hole about Jake the Snake. Um, no animal pun intended here, but, <laughs> uh, but just uh, the fact that he didn't like snakes. You know, it wasn't like he was a, a snake fan who decided to make this part of his gimmick. The gimmick was given to him and he he went with it. Um, And he actually said this was, this was a, a really good snake because it wasn't as heavy as the python that he had to carry around. You know, the cobra was quite light, but he said he had to lug this 150 pound python around with him. And it, he didn't own the snakes. They had a snake person, a snake guy, snake wrangler, call it what you will, that provided the snakes. They would give him the snake when he went on the road. He'd have to cart it from hotel to venue to hotel. Um, you know, He'd have to put, put these snakes in the bathtub, keep them wet, feed them, all that sort of stuff.
0: <laughs> He's got to have a twin bed. He's got to book a table for two. <laughs>
1: But yeah, but he said sometimes the snake did escape. Can you imagine that? Having to chase down a bloody snake in a hotel? Um, And then at the end of that period on the road, whatever it was, he would then give the snake back and get a new one. So he didn't own Damien or this, whatever this cobra was, but he did say by the end of it, he he had quite an affinity for snakes. But I guess that's because he managed to share so many hotel bedrooms with them. Well, we've all we've all
0: done that from time to time. And you know, because it wouldn't be a wrestling with my brother Pod without mentioning the man himself. How the fuck do you think Hogan feels dragging around those pythons? Yeah? Every day. Uh, were they eleven inch pythons, what were we saying? I mean what what was the inch inchage <laughs> on his pythons? Twenty four, wasn't it? Oh god, I've oh I've almost cut those in half. Yeah, how do you think he felt, bro? You know, we need extra seats on planes.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that was dark. That was really dark. And that darkness brings us to the end of the pod. Should we lighten it up a bit at the end or join me to continue being dark and and tear our listeners a new one for not interacting on social media?
0: So thank you all for listening. We really (laughs) appreciate every single one of you, despite what my brother says. Just just keep on doing what you're doing. You shared the, the overall listener count with me earlier today, and I was quite impressed. So, you know, we are we are reaching people. If you like it, throw us a like. Tell us what you like about it or or what you don't like about it. So don't grumble, and, and I'll try and change it. But, yeah, we're on uh, Twitter, at Russell Bros Pod. Um, and, yeah, Wrestling With My Brother is available on all the good and some of the shit podcast platforms. For your listening pleasure, each week we uh, dissect two clips each and just bond. God, just have a laugh, Jesus. You know what I mean? Just, just cut the shit, to me. You know? Oh, I was, I, was waiting, I was waiting for some kind of interaction from you then. So, as you can tell, this is just a one-man show. Um, <laughs> I, I don't,
1: I, I, don't, I, I've got to call you up on cutting shit. I'm sure that's not a phrase or a thing I want to do. I, I meant shoot the shit
0: yeah I, I I thought about it and then I thought oh that's going to be a what the blue hell were you thinking next week but um, anyway let's cut this shit and we'll, uh, we'll speak to you next week bye everyone bye mm-hmm. wrestling with my brother we got a podcast yeah wrestling with my brother